This was Jeff Kellum at home with A Random Bit of Improv, played on the Fandridge & Sons 130V 51-inch piano. The track was recorded with an iPhone, with minor room noise, corrected through Isopanic RX-7. You can find Jeff as ComposerJK on Instagram and other social networks. Flom in the afternoon, where we talk about serious things with serious people. My name's Darlene. You're all talk. <laughs> Join us next Thursday for the first ever AI-driven 423 event. From 4230. Thursday, 23 April 2020. Happens all day in every time zone. With zero bands, zero printing equipment, zero food, zero actual locations. More flom, no flom, virtually flom. Submit your work to our live stream build of the first ever Flomzine. Just something we're going to put together in about a day. Submissions will only be accepted online at the 4230 webpage, which will go live on 423. Details and submission requirements posted at flomn.us forward slash call for 4230. Three. Indoors this time. Inside your doors. Computer access required. Or your phone will do. Flum 423. Different than ever before. Worldwide. Worldwide Flum. Worldwide from you can touch. On screen. Until it all self-destructs on 424. Everything's spinning! Is that supposed to happen? Five minutes past 12 midnight. Hello there, this is your man in Moscow, Carlton Kaduli. This year, an estimated 23,000 Americans. Yuri Rosanov. May I call you Yuri? You could call me by my uh, nickname. What's that? You. Can you help us? Please, we're looking for the naval base in Alameda. Could you tell me where the nuclear vessels are? From Sacramento, the heart of California, and around the world. Genuine Modern Radio. Radio Flom. Dude, we have your package from Amazon. 
something so tiny and not even knowing so, it has stopped the world. No, spring is broken. Too bad for you. It's potential for panic here. Shut up, everybody. Stop talking about it. I can see the panic growing. Businesses are getting destroyed and people's lives are being upended. Not by the virus, but by the panic. The panic must stop. And the press, they really, I, I somehow need to be held accountable. They are hurting people. In the city of Wuhan, they sparked it, a typical day in a despicable wet market. A bat had coronavirus passed it to a pangolin, the pangolin was angling, they strangling, I'm mangling, but then somehow some Chinamen affected by the pangolins, they took a trip to Washington and passed it to Americans. Now this global as we try to get a hold of it, I'm over it, and if you're older, get the cold shoulder bit, from N95 to so all the low supplies, excess heads for the number of beds, it's no surprise. Crashing in in Italy, you kidding me? Will this become the nightmarish epitome of how your average city be? Daily numbers rising, souls keep falling, it's getting so appalling, politicians keep rolling, and it seems as if the storm telling y'all to stay all in, it's six feet away, a six on the pit falling, there's no wind inside, more hospitalizations day and night. Affect the nation, filling beds with COVID patients. Frontline workers, no beds, no vents. Intense situation makes no sense. I'm out of patience. The nation is glued to TV stations, consumed with frustrations, losing all relations. My heart racing, blood flowing, third eye glowing. I need to show the people what they should be knowing. So I thought of a solution. You need to apply it. A high five, a whole foods, plant based diet. If you try it, know the room just got quiet. I know they won't buy it and continue to deny it. Just do it! Cause this is your prime opportunity. Boost your immunity. Green Juice community is with ya. Listen to where I'm coming from. Cardiac events overwhelming the system. Million cent annually with CBD to the ED. No need to be in ICU, it's easy. Believe me, pick up those forks over knives and realize you can flatten the rise and save lives. Hospitals get beds back. Room for survival. Use them for the next COVID-19 arrival. The urgency is sky high and all of us are liable It's time to do that skydive to make the movement viable Stop cracking eggs, put down the Cornish hen Do us all a favor, listen to Ornish and Esselstyn Begin to win the battle, leave the cattle to graze There's other ways to get your protein, you'll be amazed So what the health is going on? Game changes with James Trying to study Colin Campbell, green brain is deranged Michael Gregor of Nutrition Facts, video stacks Digital artifacts My man is stopping heart attacks with smart facts Like his pandemic video Go check it out, recorded over 10 years ago John McDougall with a start solution Clearing up the carb confusion Five decades of contribution Start juicing like you want to become a centenarian Joel Furman to get you there as a nutritarian At the same time you feel like a humanitarian Pass it down the birth canal or a planned cesarean Now get your TVC to 150 in a jiffy The truth, even you could be heart attack proof Paper too, tiger Just stop a minute's tracks Just a few weeks max to start reversal of plaque Stay committed, hold up your forks, say I'm with it More plants, let's admit it, now you get it? Free up those beds for the COVID heads And as the virus spreads, just say no to meds And eat plants instead and own a different persona Just get into the zone and get a hold of Corona Peace This was Solution Contribution Featuring Anabolic
Produced by Richard Legris. So out of all of the things you could be doing today, you chose to listen to Radio Flom. How cool is that? Thanks a lot. Eat your greens. Hi. I want coffee. Kevin is not here. This shirt's one of those DIYs and I was cinching in. I'm gonna make coffee. I don't know what coffee I'm gonna make, so I'm just, I'm gonna grab one. This is the mystery, mystery, mystery coffee. I'm gonna make the, make the mystery coffee. So, and the coffee that I'm using is coffee from this jar. It's jar coffee, that's what I call it. Um, because it doesn't want to be identified by its region. Um, because this coffee uh, doesn't want those identifications. This coffee just wants to be the coffee that it is. Um, this is uh, top grade. This is top grade dark coffee though, um, because it's really good. Um, and I really hope I didn't take espresso jar coffee because that will uh, anger the Kevin. Hi, my name's Paul. I'm Malevich Word on Instagram. And who are you? Hi, my name is Yulia Svetlova. I'm an art historian and I'm also a founder of NEAS Artworks. Uh, NEAS stands for New Electrifying Journeys Through Art. Basically, I'm one woman orchestra. I do guided tours around art galleries in London and I tell stories about art. So let's, let's, let's kick off with what we're here to talk about, about um, women, uh, artists in early modernism. Go on, you kick off, Julia. Okay. Or Julia, so we both have passion for female avant-garde artists of exactly. the early 20th century. And because uh, I have some Russian blood in me, I decided to take distance from what was too close to me. And I'm going to give you your topic, Natalia Goncharova. And in my turn, I'm going to talk about an Irish artist. Her name is Mani Zelet. So that's what we're going to be talking about. Yes. And, uh, you know, I'd like to talk a little bit more about the wider Russian avant-garde sort of women or Russian and Soviet avant-garde women artists. There's so many of them. And actually, they were leading artists of their time, so which is very different to to, um, a lot, a lot of women artists in their lifetime. So, for instance, Frida Kahlo, that everyone knows of now, became very famous after she died. And the art exhibitions in in England, the first one was in the Whitechapel Gallery in the early 80s, and that was like one of the first time there was a all woman exhibition artist focused on one woman. So uh, it's really interesting because these women were leaders of their time uh, and respected as and that. even ahead of their time. <laughs> they were definitely ahead of their time. So, go on, tell me a little bit about this Irish modernist artist. Okay. Give, us, give, us, give us some more flavor. She is amazing. She was amazing. So she was born in Dublin in 1897. She didn't live too long. She died in 1944. At that time in Ireland, women could only afford art education if they came from middle and um, upper 
middle class families. So Amini's uh, parents were quite important people in the society at the time. Her father was a prominent barrister, a unionist and a member of British Parliament. So what's a unionist? Uh, the person who wanted Ireland to stay united. So with the, with the, with the king and the crown of, uh, of, of, of the UK. So not a united Ireland. Okay, that's interesting. Okay, so her mother was a musician and as many women at the time, she wanted to get more free and become more creative and finally at that time women were finally able to fulfill their dreams and pursue this type of yeah and there was uh, a lot of like uh, calls around the world for women's suffrage yes. women's rights so it fits in with women should women should even be educated which was something yes. that worked before but all was, of a sudden art became a part of education for women and yeah. many of these Irish women would travel to Paris to study uh, our heroine Mimi, la la. she went to Westminster uh, College of Art first and then she went to Paris but then she did something unusual because mostly Irish women would congregate in free art schools, uh, acad- art academies that started to accept female artists early or as late, depending on how you look at it, at 1880. So we didn't go there, and we actually was talking a, a couple of painters in Paris who were practicing cubism. So we wanted to study under them as opposed to like all these art academies where normally Irish women would go. So we kind of pursued independent art education. Right. Wow. So that was quite unusual. So eventually we returned to Dublin and started teaching as well. What but, year would that be around? Uh, 1921. Okay, sure. And then for the next decade, uh, we would split time Minnie and her lifelong partner, Evie Horn, who became a very prominent stained glass artist, who actually designed stained glass window for Eton College Chapel. Okay. So none of them ever married, and they pursued artistic careers together. So we started with pure abstraction. So her partner was a woman, is that right? Yes. Yeah. Wow. So, so ahead of the time? And ahead of time. Obviously, yeah. when you read literature, she's um, not really described in any other terms as just companion okay. or a lifelong companion, so okay. we don't know whether spinsters or just allergic to men or like, who knows? Exactly. <laughs> no documentation. <laughs> so we started from pure abstraction, just based on, you know, um, balance of colors, colors and shapes and things like that. But eventually, when we returned to Dublin, we just realized that the public wasn't ready for this type of stuff. But being women, they had a capacity to be flexible. So, you know, we didn't acquire this macho stand and, you know, continued saying either this or nothing. We decided to adjust a little bit. So we decided to bring subject matter into the abstraction. And then finally, this type of art making started to gain momentum in Ireland. So I think, you know, the main thing for them was not to be out kind of standard you know, but uh, to think, okay, you know, let me try something else. It's still abstraction, but let me make it more accessible. Okay. So when you talk about abstraction, did she ever sort of foreclose fully on, on the object? Was the object she started, she started from that, yes. Okay. That was her beginning, because in the beginning she started wanted to try like 
the maximum. And then after that, she turned a bit into subject matter. Okay. So there is something about connecting with society, and that's a perpetual issue for artists, because actually artists have to eat. They don't just paint. So they have to be accessible. So they, you can't be ten steps ahead of people. You can be one or two steps ahead. Of... Yeah. I think the times in Ireland were very interesting, because after the independence, after the gain independence, there was a national identity crisis. So she was thinking if she would manage to introduce abstraction to the general public on Ireland and see how it's connected to the Celtic art and also religious art, she felt it would help people to, you know, maybe find something for themselves, you know, to fill that void of yeah. identity. Can I just ask a little question there? Because in 1922, the, the, the modern Irish state was developed, the Republic of Ireland. We had the six counties of the north of Ireland, also called Ulster. A dad was um, a unionist, which would which which would have placed him in Ulster. Did she stay in Southern Ireland? Because that she would be a big joke. Okay. Wow. They were Dublin based. Right. So she was a Protestant in the Catholic. Um, the Catholic part of Ireland at that Your girlfriend converted to Catholicism. Oh, okay. So, I don't know, girlfriend. Yeah, yeah. Let's call her that. Let's call her that. Let's be modern. Let's be <laughs> so, your partner converted to Catholicism. Yeah. So, I think, you know, um, because we were from Irish, uh, Anglo-Irish family, so yeah. I'm not sure how serious she was a Protestant. Or. No, no, I think that's really interesting. I think it's because... very floating, this identity, you know, which I guess also contributes for the crisis like in general in the country but she did believe in the power of abstraction and she felt there was something for everyone to see and she kept on saying that you know forgotten Celtic art had a lot to teach and she felt if she could translate Celtic art into abstraction and also incorporate religious subject matter I thought you know that was the way forward is it as I said Mani 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 Gillette so well that's something brand new to me we've had a couple of discussions about it previously but actually for me it's been really interesting to hear that Radio Авангард продолжается сегодня мы все фламисты и ты можешь быть одним из них
was Modern Mimes Being Modern with Stare. Watch the video on our blog post at flom.us slash broken spring. Step one, you plug a grinder in. Okay, that's the step, first step. Step two, uh, get your thing, and this thing goes in that thing. This is harder than uh, what Kevin makes it look like. Okay, let's try the power of mania's abstraction on you, Paul. So, so we've got a, we've got a postcard here, a, a photo of one of the paintings. Go on, so go on. Okay, so what do you see in this painting? What elements can you recognize? Oh, this is tricking me. This is hard, especially like on the spot. You're a guru oh. of abstraction. I know, but abstraction's so great because there's no meaning, but there is a meaning in this. It's like a puzzle. Uh, I'll tell you, it's a tomb. What is it? Okay, this is actually Madonna and Child. Oh, okay, I failed the test. <laughs> <laughs> it took me a while to see it as well but you know once I saw it that's, I can't unsee it because the color of blue ultramarine gold red they all colorate uh, you know the art of the past and you can't create anything new if you didn't study the art of old so that's what she did she studied everything and she just pushed it to stratosphere I think it's really interesting because for me I'm still finding it difficult to find the Madonna and Child and actually people on a podcast are going to find it even more <laughs> harder but let, let's carry on anyway yes um, I want to talk a little bit about about um, Goncharova. Yes, please, um, tell me. She was the first superstar of the Russian and Russian avant-garde. She was. So in 1913 and 1914, she had two big exhibitions, one in um, St. Petersburg and the other one in Moscow. Um, she started to sell some paintings there, including a couple to the Chekhov Gallery, the big gallery of Moscow. Um, but actually, they only wanted to buy her really early paintings from about 1907. So, you know, she was a little bit bemused by that because she thought, well, look at my really radical art why aren't you buying that and it's really interesting if we look at her again like like um like like Mani, she's um she's uh, from a, a a well-off family her father's an architect um and then she joins the Moscow Institute of Painting, Sculpture and Architecture in 1901 and then gets into sculpture, but very quickly finds this guy called uh, Mikhail Lowenov, gets into painting. He's a bit older than, you know, he's been there a little bit longer. He's already becomes a leader of the Russian avant-garde sort of quite quickly. And she does as well. He, he sort of steps back and he sort of... grown him in she, a way. I think you got a bit stuck doing one thing, and I think she wanted to do too many things. I think so. I think that's a really good point. Everything is. And I think one of the things that, that that he did, she like continually painted, and come up with new ideas, and he and other people try to provide a framework in words what she actually did he, he created manifestos uh, so she did the painting come up with these new ideas and he tried to make sort of sense of it and he also promoted her exhibition in, in 1913 and 1914 so to a certain extent he also recognised that she was a real talent and if we look back today people look at look at her as the talent so this summer we've had a great big exhibition we did the, indeed and what we did you think of that? we see it together is, exactly <laughs> at the Tate Modern it was sort of fantastic exhibition I saw it temple 
past times. Me, me <laughs> I, I did as well. Uh, for me, you know, the, the, the Tate did a great thing by bringing this sort of um, painting to Britain and having a major exhibition of a, a woman artist such as Gontarova. I was a little bit um, frustrated by you were. some of. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you was as well. And there's something about, you know, for Gontarova um, that they put when you go in the first room, it's like she followed the Favre, she followed Suzanne, she followed Picasso. Yeah, well, she did, but then she actually left them behind. But but actually, when they put her paintings up, uh, including a, a portrait as a, a woman artist, they put wallpaper behind it. And I was really f- frustrated by that. You were. And I'm still upset that I didn't buy a pillowcase. Yeah, so, so <laughs> the great thing about the Tate Modern is they do nice pillowcases and, but you know, nice terms, prints. In but, terms yeah. of uh, connecting our heroines to male um, patterns, um, there is a common thread in that because many Juliet quite often would be referred to in connection with her Parisian teachers, even right. though she ended up leaving them behind too. And the last one she was um, studying with, he actually benefited from having her as a pupil even more when she benefited from studying with him you know so it was a both way um, you know interaction but nevertheless every time you read something about her those two guys would be mentioned so it's always like a woman artist can only be in the shadow it's like a plus one a plus plus one this is actually actually, um, one of the topics I'm always um, interested in because you know I have a great passion for um, old masters the art of local countries and uh, you know it all started from then when uh, paintings by female artists would be later attributed to their husbands or fathers or brothers or whatever it's just never ending and I think I think it's really interesting because actually if we start to look you know in uh, 1914-15 she leaves Russia she never returned there and uh, a part of that was laying off during during the first world war gets an head injury and uh, they get a job for Diego and uh, you know with these uh, ballet russe and uh, go to Paris and they get some work there. For me what's really fascinating was Goncharova's frustration throughout her life uh, was although she transformed what theatre design could be you know through uh, these great big colours of uh, Russian sort of um, neo-primitivist uh, art um, she always saw herself first and foremost as a fine artist and in Paris she was uh, barred from that there was there was a bar that stopped her from doing that and you know actually if we look at it today some of the the, the art the great artists of that time that we look back and there sort of say were great were also barred from from, from being fine artists you know Picasso could do it the, 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 the Spaniard could do it you know he could come over and be a great artist and uh, and translate that but a woman artist if we look at some of the Russians that come over who are great artists in Russia, you know, have become great artists now. So Goncharova went into theatre design and was brilliant at it, but she could never be a great fine artist. Uh, Sonia Delaunay, uh, who came from St. Petersburg and married uh, Robert Delaunay, she, she gave up painting when she married him and she only took up painting again after he died. Same happened to Le Krasner, who was the wife of Jackson Pollock. You know, look at Alexandra Exter, another great Russian avant-garde or Ukrainian avant-garde artist. Cosmopolitan diva of avant-garde. Yeah, born in Ukraine. <laughs> lived become, in Paris. Lived in Paris, Rome, uh, you know, went back to Moscow. Freedom of movement. Uh, create, created uh, the first sort of sci-fi sort of costumes for Elita in 1924. But leaves Russia in uh, the Soviet Union in 1924. She gets to become a teacher. She does a bit of 
left painting, but as she gets older, goes into poverty. So very quickly, yeah. um, the, 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 these women we, these women are marginalised and uh, pushed away from the fine art that they love and they breathe, um, which, which is fascinating. But that happens in Paris. That doesn't happen in the Soviet Union, particularly the early re- re- revolution, where women could be leading artists. So Lubov Popova, Vavara Stepanova, they were masters at um, Vuktumus, you know, the fine art school set up by Lenin in 1920, you know, teaching sort of design, teaching like being the masters of painting such as Popova. Whereas in the Bauhaus in radical Germany, they want to design a better world, but women need to find their place and that place is in the weaver's workshop yeah. so so it's very fascinating about how women are stopped from being fine artists it was a bit period. different in ireland especially in many zulet case um yeah uh, when she returned to ireland from uh, paris she wasn't really um received warmly by the critics but things changed as early as 1928 and even before that she already had a solo exhibition in Dublin and when she wow. had a joint exhibition uh, with her girlfriend Evie Horn they exhibited in Brussels and also in 1937 she represented Ireland in, at a world fair in New York oh wow that's so fascinating it's fascinating because there were just two artists selected one and another man so Ireland was a bit more progressive I suppose you know they sent a woman you you know, yeah. it was unheard of, you know, if you look at other countries. So she was quite successful, actually. And also she contributed to fa- funding the society that would exhibit only living artists. Because as everywhere, contemporary artists were unhappy about the archaic system of exhibiting, you know, based on membership rather than yeah. merit. So they formed a society as early as mid-20s um, to showcase the contemporary painting and art making. And then in 1943, just a year before her death, um, they formed another exhibition body and uh, she had a show there as well. So they didn't only just sit around waiting to be you know, accepted, they also did things. And as you mentioned before, uh, the suffragette movement was around and quite often male critics at the time complained about all these women artists, they wouldn't just stick to making art, you know, they would meddle in all the societal causes, you know, yeah. raise funds and, you know, run campaigns and all these sort of things. Think, so that was a bit different. The, the, the difference, say, with Russia was obviously after the Russian Revolution women were granted full equality at least in law and you know so so the state itself under Lenin and the Bolsheviks was about having full equality for women uh, they had the first women uh, cabinet minister or, or, or minister for a government uh, Alexander Kollontai in the Soviet Union and I think that the, the key thing for me was that, um, that that you know women could could actually lead art and so uh, Lubov Popova was one of the leading artists in 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 the, in the Soviet, in the, in the, after the revolution, you know, she goes into full abstraction. She follows Malevich with his suprematism, but you know, like as a woman that had also been in Paris in 1912 and 1930, and, and travelled to Italy as yeah. well as a part of a grand tour, and also the fact she come from a very sort of privileged sort of background, she she actually decided that. She couldn't just follow Malevich with suprematism, so very quickly she went off and did her own thing and created what she called painterly architectonics, which have got some links with her mainly in terms of the structure of, of, of objects. So she foreclosed the objects, obviously. What I found interesting about Mini is that um, she ended up focusing on religi- religious subject matter because at that time uh, the majority of population in Ireland were Catholics. So yeah. I think she was trying to appeal to the national identity. Yeah. The best music, we play it all for you. 
Now somewhere in the Black Mountain Hills of Dakota there lived a young boy named Rocky Raccoon. One day his woman ran off with another guy and hate young Rocky in the eye. Rocky didn't like that. He said, I'm gonna get that boy. So one day he walked into town and booked himself a room at the local saloon. Oh, Rocky Raccoon checked into his room. Only to find Gideon's Bible. Rocky had come equipped with his gun to shoot off the legs of his rival. His rival, it seemed, had broken his dream. By stealing the girl of his fancy Her name was McGill And she called herself Will But everyone knew her as Nancy Now she and her man Who called himself Dan in the next room of the hoedown Rocky burst in Grinning a grin And said, Danny boy This is a showdown But then he was high And he do first and shy Rocky collapsed in the corner. Da 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 to lie on the table He said, Rocky, you met your match And Rocky said, Doc, it's only a scratch And I'll be better I'll be better as soon as I am able Now Rocky Raccoon Went back to his room only to find Gideon's Bible Gideon checked out And left it no doubt To help with good Rocky's revival Da-da-da
And now, a conversation with Charlotte Rose Benjamin. Where are you from? I was almost expecting you to have a British accent. Really? A lot yeah. of people think that actually because um, I have a lot of my my first record label that I got signed to is in London, so I go there. Um, well, I've been there twice, but I go there for song music stuff sometimes. Um, I'm from Massachusetts, from Martha's Vineyard, Massachusetts. It's where I am right now. I grew up here on Martha's Vineyard. My dad um, is a musician, and he started out doing like jingles and like. Um, like commercial stuff like that. Anything I, I heard? I mean, it was it was all, it would have been like the eighties and nineties, so probably nothing that you would remember. But like, I'm older. I don't know if you can tell, but I think uh, he did like a, like a like Mama makes some magic with Clorox. Like he did a couple of those, and I know that. Yeah, I mean, I don't. I, there were a hundred people who did those, but he did some of them. Mama keeps blue, twinkling like her eyes do. Mama's got the magic of Clorox too. Uh, I played Barry Manilow's uh, Jack in the Box jingle. They actually put out a record back in the 70s. Oh, no way. Yeah, I didn't even know he was the one singing That's it. so cool. I didn't either. Yeah, it was definitely more of a market like back in the 80s. When my parents got pregnant with me, they moved here. My dad started working more in the wedding business. And now he's like the front man of a wedding band. Uh, which is like a fun job, I think, as a musician. From what I say, I know a lot of wedding photographers who are just sort of like, I get food on the weekends. Yeah, especially Martha's Vineyard is such a big wedding destination. And he would play like locally, like do bar gigs and stuff like that while I was growing up. So I I always had opportunities to perform, sit in on his gigs. And like I would I would spend a lot of time learning one song and then play it at the show. And I, that's how I, I started um, really learning. It gave me motivation to to play and how are the kids about it because i um i've talked to people who've had like school experiences where it ranges from the kids loved them to the kids hated them uh, i'm from the hated them crowd which really can motivate you too <laughs> i'm sure i wasn't like super popular but I, but i think people adults gave me attention for it and i liked that I think kids at kids at my school, I got attention for it, and I definitely that fueled it a little bit. <laughs> yeah, you mentioned in your um, live cast, you you love attention. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I like the joke that I do. I like good attention. Uh, so, what kind of fame do you want? Um, I, I was proud of myself for writing that question. <laughs> I like that. I was just having a conversation with someone recently who wants to be a film director, and he was like, "I don't." She's like, I want to make films that everyone sees, but I don't want to be famous. I don't want to ever be famous. I'm like, how can that be true, though? Like, I feel like there's a lot of shame in, like, especially now, fame being such a yeah. big part of... The ability to become famous really fast is out there. I was talking to someone the week on the podcast about, uh, I don't know if it made it into the final edit, but it was about the idea of, do you want to be famous, like say the Kardashians, or do you want to be famous with a crowd that really appreciates what you're doing? Right, right, yeah, that's important. The thing is, the... The audience I have now sends notes. I get to meet really interesting people. I get to get try to get their work out to another crowd. And I'm seeing these little connections. Like if I have someone on there, I'll see three or four people follow them. 
And it may not be a lot of people, but they're really, really hardcore. Yeah. So I, I really love that. I love thanking people. That's one of the things that we try to go for with this stuff. Yeah, I love that. I love, yeah, it's kind of a, it's a cool way to just kind of build a small form of community. Uh, let, let's talk about your, your. I, I'm calling it the hit single that uh, isn't a hit single. So yeah, uh, I played Cursed over and over and over. All those numbers were me. Okay. <laughs> but it's, it gets in your head and you end up humming it and that's that's really what makes great music if you ask me to run out of the city tonight i know you wouldn't cause you hate to have fun but if i'm honest i might and if you ask me to stay I think it's the first song that I wrote for the EP that I put out a couple weeks ago. 
and it was the first single that I ever I ever released kind of with this new like batch of songs in mind so yeah I don't know I spent a really long time working on it I wrote it as like a slow acoustic guitar song it's really so simple it's only three chords um the whole time it never changes form which um I think there's something kind of cool about that. And I worked on the demo yeah. of that song for like over a year, just going back and forth with how we wanted it to sound. So it definitely like everything that's there is very on purpose. It's very calculated. Alan Bazozzi produced it and he really gets mean and what I'm going for. And those like big, thick, heavy drums are really cool. And it was so different than how I imagined when I wrote it because it's kind of sad. It's kind of a sad breakup song about feeling like you're like curse you have a, it's a it's such a curse that you're just like magnetically attracted to somebody that you you know that you shouldn't be with but then the production um makes it seem kind of fun and a lot of people say that it reminds them of like the 90s or early 2000s like kind of like pop rock songs that were on the radio then and that's what i grew up listening to so so i've been saying this for a while and it's funny because you don't respond to the text but uh i'm, I'm hoping it comes off flattering that i think you could be the next lily allen oh, that's so nice to hear i love her so much that's really really funny i love that you brought that up because lily allen came out i would have been like i was like 11 or 12 when i first heard um smile by lily allen and it was like this wave of like female singer songwriters from England. Lily Allen was huge for me. Um, All right, still that whole album like changed my life. That and Made of Bricks by Kate Nash, and just like I knew like the Beatles, and then like everything else that was like on the radio at the time. So like to hear something that was so weird and like specific and like just like it was so like just like women like right saying exactly how they feel in like this really like weird specific way i'm not <laughs> explaining it well at all taylor swift has become huge just singing about stuff like yeah, that. yeah yeah and like regina specter was also a part of that oh yeah that time for me i was just listening to a lot of yeah music like that and i feel like it's not that my music really sounds like them at all but i think that um it did kind of inform my songwriting even now yeah, that was a really big transitional moment for me, like when I first heard Lily Allen. So I love that you you made that comparison. Thank you. So your process. So yeah, I think what I what I like to do is I kind of come up with little ideas throughout the day. Something will just come to me. Usually like keep your ears open for it. And then I write it down in my notes and then I'll just collect like lots of little phrases and things and rhymes and ideas and concepts and at some point will force myself to sit down with a guitar and come up with a chord progression and then melody and then put the lyrics in after that. So it is kind of, it is like a pretty, there's a way that I do it. I just got back from this London trip where I was being set up with all of these different songwriters and producers for like the next batch of whatever the next project is gonna be. We're not like putting, we're not, there's no rush for it, but I was going there for a show and then, and then I spent 10 days like working with all of these different producers and I had never been in a room like songwriting with another person before. Um, so that gave me a lot of insight into like the different ways to do it and how other people kind of are like, are kind of, I guess, how a song is written like in like a factory kind of way where like you have a day to finish the song and make a demo of it. And then like, it has to be done because you may never see that person again. Um, so that was really, really crazy and eye-opening. And I feel like I learned 
a lot. I feel like I could honestly probably like like do that for like I could I think I could probably like write jingles or like write like shitty pop songs like in Nashville or something and like that could be my job if I I feel like I'm good at it. Like I, I got a lot of confidence in that and that I can definitely go into a room with a stranger and like write a song and like even if it's not a song for me, I feel like I can like bring something to the table. So, so what's going to be your other stage name so no one finds out? <laughs> but I think I did learn that for a song to feel like me and for it to be something that I release, um, it has to be totally written by myself. Otherwise, it just doesn't feel like my voice. And if I don't make all of the decisions, that it doesn't, it doesn't quite work for me. Party City, I interpret that as being doing things your way, which really does lead to better art. I, I don't see you going out and and working with all these other people. Like, Texas, really? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's, that's what it's about, going through all of the different scenarios in my head, different places I could have ended up, um, places that at the time I was sad I didn't end up at, but... It's so corny, I guess, but just that everything was meant to be and things happen for a reason. And that was a very 80s looking video, too. You think, really? With uh, better, far better <laughs> cinematography. I had a really hard time with, I wanted to make music videos, but I didn't know how to do it without like a big production. And, um, and then I kind of learned at a certain point that, one, it's really cool to see uh, new artists who don't have a lot of money and aren't able to make big expensive videos. It's fun to see that kind of stuff because you feel like you're discovering something super new. And it's cool also to see someone just totally execute their vision without having like a team behind them kind of like watering it down. Yeah. And then it's also fun because you see a lot of like DIY videos that are really um, low budget that just take themselves really seriously, which can be so embarrassing. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I'm working on something like that, but I'm hoping to get some humor in there. Well, I think that, like, I think I learned, like, the perfect kind of thing is to do it and have it just be, like, campy and weird and fun and, like, don't. Mm -hmm. Don't. That's that's kind of what my, um, how I'm going to start doing all the videos now, unless I, like, come into lots of money and I would love to make, like, a bigger production kind of thing. And I've done one video like that, but, yeah, it's fun to just fuck around with my friends. And, and the video for Cursed is the same way where just, I just, we went on a trip to Iceland and I just like ordered my friends like yellow raincoats on Amazon and had everyone, and we just like choreographed little dancers around me as I sang the song. Um, and it was, it was a lot more fun that way. And I like, I love the way it turned out too. I have more fun when it's done like that. I think that, I think that's kind of it. Uh, we're, we're in a world now where we're sick of lies. We're sick of uh, the makeup and everything. We're sick of, right. yeah. And uh, I mean, the word I apply to your music is uh, it's the old music term soulful because I mean, you're well-practiced. So at your age, your vocals are at a place where a lot of people haven't gotten there yet.
Together with my exes Could've said I was wrong When I damn knew I was right Tell everybody that my phone died Layin' I beat me to the person Thought I had it one time Hitting on a dial Okay, so we're in a place now where we've got to leave in a moment. Hi, everyone. It's Orion, and you're listening to Radio Flam. Step one. Use a grinder to grind the coffee. I have a scale. Kevin got me a scale for baking, and then he proceeded to steal it for coffee. So I'm stealing it back. Out, um, from a national gallery and um, in the pursuit of artistic excellence we wandered uh, the streets of uh, London. Wednesday London and now we're in a coffee shop no product placement so we're not going to tell you which one no it's one of these big horrible chains but but not the famous American one that doesn't that makes terrible coffee <laughs> but anyway no offense guys but no no, no offense uh, we are pro we are pro the good people of America yes of course Against corporations. Here we go. So, um, so now we're back. Um, and we've, where did we get to, Julia? Okay, uh, I was about to tell you about the importance of uh, Catholicism in Mainis art. Because uh, when we think about avant-garde in terms of Russian avant-garde, uh, we rarely think about religion, even though there is a connection point between your artist Natalia Gonchirova and mine. Because Natalia Gonchirova famously did religious artworks as well. Well, you're going to tell me a bit more about that in a sec. So, um, Ireland being a Catholic country at the time, um, required uh, 
fell apart. But obviously, all these crucifixions and marriages of the past, they didn't cut it anymore. So, mainly the left would focus on pure abstraction of religious subject matter, such as Madonna and Child, which you failed to recognize. Uh, you know, um, descent from a cross, you know, entombment, all these sorts of things, you know. Okay, so real modernist takes on the yeah. religious tradition. Yes, which, like, you would never guess what's going on here, because that's how far away... So from. what is going on there? This one, you, I would have to think hard myself. Actually. At the moment, you're, you're pushing the, <laughs> the, the, the photograph around to see what side it should be, okay, which is always yes. a great sign of creativity yes. and abstraction. What this one, is? actually, like, it's not a religious subject matter, but it has something to do with patriotism. What can you see on this photograph? Paul? Patriotism. Uh, let's yes. have a look. Um, I can see the green of Ireland. Yes. Um, hold on. I'm not fully sure. Can you I can see any see. houses, Paul? Oh, I can sort of see houses. Yes, I can, actually. Yeah. Right. But they're very abstract houses. So this would be an abstraction of Irish landscape. Houses, sea, sky, mountains. Because at that time, art in uh, Ireland was predominantly landscape. You know, yes. or animals, or something like that. Yes. So she decided, okay, if you want that, I'll do it, but I'll do it in my way, my abstract way. Right, and actually that's really interesting because the Russian avant-garde got very close to abstraction in 1915 before Malevich. So Lubov Popova done a famous uh, landscape of Bursk. She went on a uh, sort of a summer trip in 1916 and also did an abstract landscape. So there's there's lots of connections, and that's that's before she fully crossed over to like suprematism, then her own form of abstractions. If we go back to Goncharova, Goncharova's religious art was in a modernist sort of way it was before abstraction it sort of comes around from about 1910, 1912 in 1912 they do a famous exhibition of the Russian avant-garde in uh, Moscow called the Donkey's Tale and this is the most radical of, of artists and actually what, what happens was uh, in Russia at that time the Tsar was in control it was a horrible society, very religious uh, in 19, 1905 um there was a, the first Russian Revolution, which was drowned in blood by by the Tsar and his sort of forces. So there was a lot of um, state state repression, but also an element of liberalisation. So when she had her exhibition in 1912, she the censor came round and sort of said, "It's okay, you can display the paintings." But they didn't just have one centre, one centre. They had a second centre, and that was the. Uh, the synod of the uh, Russian Orthodox Church, and they, they they saw a picture of the evangelists, uh, which is which is a classic we saw in London in, in the summer, which was I an love those ones. I have to tell you, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's, an, it's an amazing sort of set of paintings. But it's basically religious icons done in a modernist way, you know, potentially semi-cubist. But you know, but uh, anyway. I can't believe she was told off for producing was because I was thinking she would build bridges between the art of the past and the future. But going back to your previous point uh, Julia first thing is she's a woman so should a woman paint religious icons so that was that was a challenge in Russian society at that time under the Tsar the second thing was the, the point you mentioned earlier she uh, when, when, when we was chatting was the fact that she wasn't married to Larry enough so she was living she was living in sin 
outside marriage. So, and also the other thing is, um, she'd also been involved in a pornography control, which they backed down on the the Russian the Russian legal sort of side backed down on that. So, so she wasn't seen as the right person to be painting religious icons. So, like a modernist woman who was bohemian who wasn't married painting a religious icon wasn't allowed and that's why the Orthodox Church uh, took them out of the exhibition and they weren't allowed to be shown. So, I want you to summarize a bit um, because, you know, as, uh, as, uh, as you remember, I showed you my notes and I found more similarities between the two than differences. Yes. But a couple of differences I found out was, you know, early acceptance of Mania's art and permission to do the religious subject matter for the yes. Ireland. But the more major difference I found was the price tag of the artworks because, as we know, Natalia Kancherova commands high prices for her art yes, despite being virtually unknown for the duration of 20th century for all sorts yeah. of legals, legal reasons so you know around her inheritance and this and that and whatever so sure. I know like um, one of her artworks uh, fetched like 5 million pounds or something like that yeah I think, and, I think they've gone even higher than that as well and yeah. Mani Gillette still goes for as cheap as 30,000 pounds oh wow I think the highest price she achieved was 50,000 pounds quite recently at the joint yeah. uh, auction between Whites uh, and uh, Christus and uh, her partner Evie Horn despite being uh, commissioned to create stained glass windows for the most prestigious venues, you can still yeah. buy her uh, sketches and drawings and small paintings for as low as £1,000. So basically we've got a modernist artist that, is, that was uh, what was reasonably successful in her own time in Ireland and is now sort of like pushed towards the sort of mar- margins. Um, in terms of the in terms of the art buyers, yeah? yes. And we've got Goncharova who sort of soared. So she was big in 1913. The, the biggest uh, the biggest uh, art ex- uh, exhibition of 1913 in um, Moscow and St. Petersburg was her exhibition. She, she was accepted. Um, then she then she went to Paris and you know became sort of the great, great from public eyes. Public eye. And, and so much show that you know uh, when she, when she died, she arranged for her paintings to be smuggled back to the Soviet Union. Many of her paintings to be smuggled. There's there's there's, there's paintings everywhere. She was so productive, but because of uh, uh, the bad treatment that she received in around her fine heart, she you know there's something in there about her thinking. Well, they didn't want my fine fine art in my lifetime. The only pe- people that ever appreciated it was Russia. So that's why she sent it back. So I think it's really interesting. Uh, women artists now are becoming uh, are becoming sort of famous every sort of um, exhibition every second or third exhibition at the Tate Modern there is based on a woman artist which has changed over the last say over the last sort of five years yes another interesting thing about Mini Gillette's legacy is that uh, I came across this by accident as always you know I was researching yes. something and found that out so basically there is a rock company in County Wexford in Ireland which decided to give another life to the legacy of her drawings paintings and sketches. So they do produce high quality, handmade Irish made uh, rocks based on her paintings. So you can if you can afford, you can have managed rock which would set you off for, I don't know, 5,000 plus 
Oh wow! Thousand of euros, and they're amazing because last summer we did travel to this workshop and I saw this in real life. It's fascinating. Okay, so you're saving up for a rug. I'm for saving up. Is that what you want for Christmas? One of these rugs? Yeah, and my um, what is this Santa? What's that? Secret Santa, yes. In, in, in your secret Santa. I think the only thing I'd like to sort of close on for me is like, obviously, Goncharova left, um, le- left Russia in 1915 and never returned. Uh, one thing is she did actually sort of carry on sort of like, uh, she did think about going back to the Soviet Union, but then the rise of Stalin, she realised that wasn't going to be possible. No. She also actually did a lot of designs for socialist magazines in France, in Paris, um, after she, while she was in, in Paris. So she was a, a connection to radical politics, uh, you know, after the Russian Revolution for her. And the other thing I'd like to sort of fi- finalise is the fact that... Sonia Delaney uh, Delaney became famous uh, for a culture for rich women, which which which, which, which was very important in, in Paris. Whereas in um, in the Soviet Union in the early twenties, uh, Varvara Stepanova and Lubov Popova uh, designed sort of dresses, but did, did designed fabric design for for everyday for everyday women. So so the, the, for peasant women. For working women, so after the Russian Revolution, you had eight hours sleep, eight hours work, and eight hours play. They designed for the eight hours play. So you work hard, you sleep your eight hours, and then you go out and you wear your nice uh, geometric design uh, pattern dress. Actually, so, um, mainly in her circle of female artists, they actually gave back to the community as well in Ireland. Wow. We worked with poor, uneducated women, teaching them how to do in, uh, beautiful things. Fantastic. So they set up workshops, uh, teaching them to do stained glass, bookbinding, embroidery, things like that, because, you know, it was highly desirable items and how somebody had to do it, and it was, of course, women. So, you know, they set up lots of these workshops, which were considered to be the best at the time in all the British Isles, which was quite unusual. So they decided, okay, you know, if we want to do good in a society, we have to educate people who could normally not access such education. Also, it's really sort of positive stuff. Very positive. So that's great. So it's really great to meet you again, Yulia. Always a pleasure. And I also think if our heroines would ever meet in real life, they would become friends just like us. Cool. That's great. Radio Flaw. Brand new. From. Off this earth. Zepoku Reset.
Kenneth, what is the frequency? What's your band? Don't eat the plum. This no. is Radio Plum. If I say it in Russian, do I get some poppy seed? No. Spring is broken. Do you like to play? Of course you do. Doesn't everyone? And of course you like to watch, even on the radio, because the pictures are so much better here, aren't they? Who am I? Am I blonde, brunette, or totally hot, curly redhead with freckles that just dance across my cheekbones just where you like them? And there's my friend, my old, old friend. They have the tones of blue and black, and when ready to go, they can be totally loose or strong as steel. So, where do you like to play? And do you like to go round and round? Because I am very good at this, and my old friend, so good at going down. Everything goes all end over end over end over end and sometimes sideways around all the curves hearts beating and even a few times everything upside down you know what i mean right so so tragic my friend loves nothing more than totally going into action on a stack of books or a staircase Staircases are incredible, with or even without carpeting. Shag, don't you just love shag? <laughs> My friend's wiry and small, but when sprung to life, expanding and collapsing, they can totally go upright, then recoil, then jump back to life. So limber, so slick, so graceful. My old friend was in the war because there was a war and they needed help stabilizing sensitive instruments when things would get all rough and unpredictable. My friend would help with all of this. So mod, so gyroscopic. Then accidentally during the war, my good, good friend stepped into action on the tabletop, on a stack of books and eventually the floor. They called this maneuver the walk for several, several reasons, but mostly my friend really couldn't walk at all afterwards. Some people have claimed my friend so long that when stretched out, they can even be used as an antenna for a radio, of all things. I've never seen that happen, but then I don't know how a radio works anyway. <laughs> and like, Hundreds of people knew, almost immediately. They all knew, like, in the right circles. And my good, good friend would get involved with anyone, alone, or even in pairs. Expanding, collapsing, expanding, collapsing. They'd explain it all a simple harmonic motion with longitudinal waves, period oscillation, equilibrium throughout, and I'd tell them to shut up. You shouldn't mess with me. Not like that. Then I saw everything come crashing down. It's spring right now. Spring. A marvelous thing. And everyone knows it's spring. 
a broken spring. I could escape this wall inside. I could pretend that nothing really meant too much. You like to play at home, right? Pleasure model with surrender.
You can find Basic Pleasure Model on Facebook, Apple Music, and all digital outlets. You're listening to Radio Flum. Four, two, three, zero. Historical and virtual. An avant-garde future. While looking at the past. Flom presents 4230. Celebrating a hundred years. And change. Of Futhamas and Unobis. All day, 23 April 2020. 423330. Where AI meets HTML5. Meets CompuServe GIFs. Meets cellulose nitrate film stock. Upload your art or writings to our first ever Flom Zoom. Push some triangles so everyone plays. Push arrows, things play. Will only happen once. One day only. Info at, info at flomm.us forward slash 423. Pushing triangles makes things go. Don't you wish life was like that when you are stuck in Moscow traffic? Push the arrows, Debbie, they won't hurt. Radio Flaw. Want to know more about You Know This and Victumaus? which we are celebrating at 4230 next Thursday. Check out Paul Ruhan, also known as Malevich Squared on Instagram, on the Radio Flom episodes. Hides. And from last year, La Edu. Up next, Paul talks Tatlin's Tower, because it is spring. No. Spring is broken. Hi, I am Paul from London. I want to share my passion with you about Vladimir Tatlin and his tower. It's a legend of art and revolution. And in 1920, Tatlin unveiled a model of 5 meters or 16 foot in revolutionary Russia. I'm going to focus on four things about how the model of the Tatlin Tower came to be commissioned in revolutionary Russia, why it was never built, some key information about the tower itself, and lastly, its inspiration then and now. Let's start by giving a bit of context. How did this monument to the Communist International come about? Well, in Russia, they'd had a revolution in 1917, which was led by Lenin and the Bolsheviks which had mass support of workers, peasants, soldiers and sailors against the old ruling class, which it overthrew. The new state was committed to education and culture. And one of the commissions was to commission a tower, a monument to the Communist International. The Russian Revolution believed that it couldn't survive on its own. It would be attacked by outside forces, which it was. So it set up the the Communist International, which basically was an organisation based in Moscow to coordinate communist parties from around the world with its aim to spread the revolution worldwide. And in his response, his his monument to the Third International, Tatlin matched the Comintern's ambition. 
Um, he built a model which he displayed in 1920, that's 100 years ago this year, which was five meters tall or 16 foot tall. And Tatlin's response was to match the Comintern's ambition in what the final tower would have looked like. It was to be made of spiraling steel with glass forms inside, which would have dwarfed the tallest building in the world at that time, which was the Eiffel Tower. It was to be 400 meters tall. The Eiffel Tower was 324 meters tall. Also, in terms of another symbol, the Empire State Building, it was twice as large as that. Tatlin's Tower was no ordinary monument. It combined architecture and sculpture together. This was no monument of a general on a horse or Lenin on a plinth. It had a practical use. It was to usurp the old architecture of the Winter Palace in Petrograd and the Kremlin in Moscow. Tatlin's idea for the tower was that it was to be made from steel and glass, modern materials. He declared that the tower was to be made of materials of the new classicism. Tatlin's tower was indeed the shock of the new. It signalled a new architecture for a new world. Externally, there was a huge steel scaffolding which spiralled and ran, corkscrewed and sprung up into the air, touching the sky, the very heavens. Inside were cased three primary revolving volumes made from glass and a fourth static one. The three revolving forms was a cube, a cone and a cylinder, all made of glass. Each would rotate constantly in permanent revolution. At the base of the structure was a cube, which would house lectures, conferences and legislative meetings. So a practical everyday use. The cube would rotate every year annually. Higher up in the spiraling steel structure, would be a smaller pyramid as in monthly executive activities and completing a monthly rotation. Further up would be a cylinder which would rotate daily and this reflected its function as an information hub, issuing news bulletins, manifestos, using the most technological communication tools of the age, a telegraph, a radio and a loud speaker. Towards the top of the steel structure, there would be a static hemisphere for radio equipment. There was also plans to install a gigantic open air cylinder and a further projector, which would then cast messages across the clouds on any overcast day. The Tatlin Tower was never built. It could not be built in 1920 or the years following it. The besieged revolution was basically a crippled war economy. It was focused on fighting the civil war, and foreign invasions. So for instance, the civil war was made up of remnants of the old regime, the old classes, the old bourgeoisie, supporters of the Tsar, and they were back to the hilt with money and also with equipment on the war forefield and terrorist activity. So for instance, Britain had a thousand tanks against the Red Army during the civil war on the battlefield and also um, was involved in a spy getting into Kronstadt where the Navy was and sinking a battleship, a clear terrorist activity. However, if the Comintern's vision had succeeded with the revolution spreading to more industrially advanced nations, materials could be made available and with some technical modifications making Tatlin's vision of his tower a realistic and fitting monument to the communist international. 
Despite the tower never being realised, the tower and Tatlin inspired a generation inside the revolution. Soviet author Ilya Ehrenberg wrote in 1922 had Tatlin and his tower inspired him and his generation. We're absorbed in our own fantasy. A self-taught white eyebrowed prophet resembling an artisan, a place on the ruins of Imperial St. Petersburg, a clear sign, the beginning of a new architecture. And in the following years, a new architecture of constructivism and rationalism started to appear across Russia in Moscow and St. Petersburg. In 1920s Soviet Russia, the revolution limited Russia at shortages of food. It could not begin to build such a grand architectural vision. Tatlin, like other leftist artists at the time, in those tumultuous days, were not demotivated by their visions not being realised. These artists seemed to be mightily resilient, bouncing back and soon adjusting to what was possible to support the besieged revolution in the dark days of the Civil War and afterwards. In 1922, a radio tower was constructed in Moscow, designed by Alexei Shukov, the Shukov Tower, which radio masts went across the lands of the Soviet Union, broadcasting messages. Interestingly, it was scaled back from its original height uh, because of lack of resources. Lenin had to sign off the order to agree that this still could be used for it. And the Shukov Tower itself had a revolutionary still lattice structure. It still remains in Moscow to this day. Tatlin started to tackle the real difficult issues of the day. When large constructions had to wait, so instead what he did was went back to the drawing board and thought about how he could help solve some of the issues in that time. So he came up with a design for an economical stove which would use birch wood and also a winter jacket which was warm but was also easy to move around in. Despite not being built, the tower has become a legend of the early 20th century of modernism, of the Russian Revolution, the open optimism of its first decade. In 1925, a reduced version of the tower, a model, went to Paris in the International Decorative Arts Fair and was a sensation. Queues came to see it and it was also put on parades and displayed across Russia. In 1920, in Moscow, Lenin actually saw a model of it as well. The tale was of its time. The tale was about optimism. The tale was about human liberation. When Stalin came to power, that liberation ended. The Red Tsar, the new Napoleon, imposed a bureaucratic dictatorship with him at the apex of it. By the early 30s, art was reduced and narrowed to a very traditional socialist realist style, as it was called, which glorified the great leader and also showed healthy workers and peasants. Tatlin and radical artists, revolutionary artists, became marginalised. Tatlin became a theatre designer and also went back to landscape paintings. Tatlin died in 1953, the same year as Stalin. In the 60s, the emergence of Tatlin started to re-emerge along with his tower. In 1966, in Russia, on Tatlin's 80th birthday, there was a small exhibition of his work. The memory had never died. Now it was part of a Russian or Soviet national tradition, hidden on the margins of society. 
Tatlin and East Tower erupted again in the late 60s. In architecture, he started to become reborn again. So anytime you see an architectural project with a rotating platform, always think of Tatlin's vision, his dream in his tower. So for instance, in London, the post office tower built in the late 60s had a rotating restaurant at the top of it, which has not been used now since the 1990s. And of course, the Seattle Space Needle. Another factor for the emergence of Tatlin's Tower was the disillusionment internationally with both the Soviet Union and America. In the late 60s, Russia sent the tanks into Czechoslovakia to quell a rebellion, showing that socialism and tanks are not necessarily things that mix. And of course, America's invasion into Vietnam. By the late 60s, for many, it was neither Russia nor America. Another world needed to be made. And in that period came the 68 revolutionary generation, fighting for that new world, whether it be civil rights, general strikes across Europe and across the world, which reflected in the art world the rebirth of Tatlin's tower. Tatlin and his tower still inspire today. In the early 20s, the Soviet critic Vyacheslavsky said that the tower was made of steel, glass and revolution. Indeed it was. It fused the revolution in art of Tatlin and the revolution in Russia. Today it's what you want it to be. It can simply be an autonomous art object, a reproduction in a museum. It can even just be a metaphor for a broken spring. Spring is broken. Or it can be an object of desire, a lost object of desire, signaling that another world is possible, a world based on people, not profit, where we don't have endless wars. Radio Flom! Ah, fuck yeah. <laughs> I heard he found some toilet paper. Put the beans in the grinder. Put the lid back on the container. Put the container in the grindy part. Put the lid on the container. Okay, it's on a medium grind. Now if I know my coffee, I'm gonna put this to 18. 18, it did nothing. Okay, all right, okay, you check everything. I'm never gonna get coffee. It's just not gonna happen. It's never gonna happen. I'm gonna be stuck here with, in your- Dateline Sacramento. Presented by Arden Fair's Uncharted Public Art Program is In Your Living Room Vibes. A digital twist from their original music series, Living Room Vibes. Hosted by Sacramento musician, DJ, and personality, Sushi. Live stream happens 17 and the 24th of April at 7 p.m. through the Arden Fair Facebook page.
and thanks to Sarah Marie Hawkins for the tip. Dateline, Tumblr. Yes, Tumblr. Where our first blog started back in 2012. Part of our reach to get art history in the hands of smart people. In this case, the smart people who used to use Tumblr. And for a change, flomuse.tumblr.com is active a bit right now. Usually we hold posts when we're doing Radio Flom. But we want to get some of the awesome Unavis art dancing around our page in time for 4230. Flomuse on Tumblr. New and old art. Proto, Avon, Altro. Since 2012. At flomuse.tumblr.com. Dateline, Dare Tongue. Our literary blog has been bringing some at-home takes on what is going on around us right now. Plus, the latest on 4230, in a few days, we'll have a behind-the-scenes look at who is involved in making 423 happen this year. Just head to flom.us stroke dare tongue for the latest. Free subscription will toss everything into your already overflowing email. And no warnings if you have an ad blocker or if you simply read too damn much. You can read all the articles. Not just three or five. Thousands of posts at this point. Dare Tongue has just enough to keep you busy for the remainder of the quarantine. First, Carter's little liver pills wake up the flow of a vital digestive juice. And they do this usually within 30 minutes after taking. Second, they help restore regularity. It's this two-way release that works so fast and so differently to help you feel up on your toes again. So don't go on feeling way below par when you can get this kind of relief with Carter's little liver pills. Get a box from your druggist now, only 25 cents. Okay. That... Grind the coffee! Until it stops. It's loud. I'm sorry. It's so loud. Ah. Step two, take the coffee out of the grinder. It's ground. Where are you listening to Radio Flom? In your favorite easy chair? Hey y'all, it's your girl, Scribe Not Scribble, and yes, I am going to be spelling that out again because my name is spelt weird. That's S-C-R-1-B-3, and they're like, not scribble, always one word, but anyway. It's your girl, Scribe Not Scribble, and I've been sent today to broadcast on this podcast. My main man, Flomus, he's like, yo. We're doing this thing. The theme is broken spring because it's spring break and we're all broken because we're at home during COVID-19 and that sucks and it's like a shitty spring break. Well, he didn't say it exactly like that, but I'm paraphrasing and I'm like, what? Because in case anyone doesn't know, I live in literal New Zealand, which is quite probably on the other side of the world where you are. And to put it into context, we are so isolated that you can live anywhere in the world. And unless you live in Australia, 
yeah, we're practically on the other side of a world too. Like, there's only one country below New Zealand, that's friggin' Vostok, Antarctica. So, as you can probably guess, I don't know what spring break is. I had to Google this shit, and it says spring break. Spring break is a vacation period in early spring at universities and schools which started during the 1930s in the United States. Oh, surprise, surprise. It is now observed in any other countries as well, and... I don't know whether it's because I'm like a small town girl living in a lonely world. She's taking the Google page going anywhere. So yeah, I don't know what spring break is. Like, I didn't even know what Halloween was until I grew up. Like, granted, America has done a very good job at colonizing literally everywhere else. Like, it's always either, you notice it's always the Western countries. It's always the UK or it's always the US. So they've, they've spread their shit anywhere. Like, when I was growing up, I lived in a little town, like, a little town. Like, the only town smaller than us was friggin' Martin. Like, no one knows where that is. But anyway, I lived in a small town when I was a little girl near her to a grasshopper. Boy, I did not know what Halloween was. I heard of this ungodly day. I thought that was the devil's butthole birthday. And as I grew up, I learned that, I learned that, oh, it's actually people dressing up and going out and getting candies, not opening the portals to save themselves, which was like, when you're a conservative Christian homeschooler and you like hang around with other conservative Christian homeschoolers who read a lot, like really deep into things, I'm not discrediting them, like I'm sure their truth is important to them, but the truth that they told me and the truth y'all celebrate, that, that, that's very different, so... Anyway, I don't know how we got onto the topic of Halloween, but here I am, literally with a Google page right up in front of me, because I'm like, I don't know what spring break is, so how am I meant to cover something for this, like, broken spring? Like, and I assume it's spring where y'all are listening to this, because we're, like, late summer, early autumn over here in New Zealand, and I don't know what spring break is, but even if they did celebrate it here in, like, some corner where I don't exist because I live under a rock, we are not doing spring break, because it ain't spring. So anyway, I'm, like scrolling through what he wants me to spin like I, I honestly feel sorry for now. like he's so great he organizes all these podcasts doesn't get paid like he hardly gets paid like maybe one cent so you'll need to be supporting his patreon because dude we are starving artists and in case no one is absolutely aware by now artists run the world like who do you think designs your friggin clothes who do you think interior designs your house who do you think is designing the adverts for this shit? It requires creativity, and who comes up with creativity but an artist? Like, I mean, listen to me. I don't even know what I'm going to talk about to y'all. I've, I've already been spinning this bullshit for, like, I don't know how long. Like, you've you got to forgive me for a bit. Like, one thing I was told was, like, oh, what you say is great. Oh, heaven forbid. Heaven forgive this guy. He thinks what I say is great, you know. But he's like, oh, if you want a better quality audio, you might need a professional microphone. So I'm like, all right. I'm actually going to upskill myself. I'm not going to use my shitty little phone microphone. I'm going to break in, do, 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 sneak downstairs under the cover of the night. Like, I know I'm so stealthy, right? I'm going to sneak downstairs and I am going to run off with my partner's microphone. That's what I'm using now. I'm recording it. So this better be optimal quality. This better be crystal clear because, boy, I did not sneak down like... I find it so hard to be sad, like, I am drama supreme, I am the queen of performances, and not even good ones, like really shitty ones that make you go, oh, how could we ever miss her, there she goes again, so anyway, I had to subtly sneak downstairs and steal my partner's microphone to record this, and as a result, I am recording this 
on computer software, which I don't know completely how to work. So I don't even know how long I've been talking for. Like, there's a thing down here says, let's like, let's read it. Okay, it says, disk space remaining for recording, 183 hours and 19 minutes. Like, dude, I know I can ramble on, but I would very much hope that I've not been talking for 183 hours already. Like, I, I'm so sorry for anyone who has to edit this. Like. If any of what I say gets through to my like hats off for whoever can make me sound good, honestly. You work harder than you get credit for. So anyway, we're looking at spring break, which I'm meant to be talking about unbroken spring, so I'm like, okay. But we're all locked up here in COVID-19, so I am going to give you a tutorial of not what I do every day, but what I should be doing, because we all know it's easier to dish out the advice and take it ourselves. So here is a day-to-day -day advice on how not to go stir crazy and my my advice is this okay so do not stay out too late at night because that will fuck up your sleep schedule and fuck up, fucked up sleep schedules and fucked up schedules at all the first way to go stir crazy because it throws you off it compromises your routine and when you have a compromised routine your brain like you might not realize it but your brain is actually going bitch what me entire fuck so if your brain's doing that, you are not going to be operating at peak capacity. I can already tell you that for free. Because again, I'm a starving artist. Who actually pays me? Come on. So anyway, you go to sleep early the night before and you think. You think firsthand. Like, what would I like to dream about? What would a bitch like me like to live live through for the next eight hours tonight? You think about that and you're like, all right. And then because you're thinking about it late at night, hopefully you will have some pretty interesting dreams. And if you've been doing this for a while, maybe you can explore into like lucid dreaming if that's your thing but anyway you know you think about it right and you think about it and you have your dreams and then you wake up in the morning oh oh boy i'm so refreshed and ready for a day of absolutely nothing but bitch wait the plot is thickening boy because we are not doing nothing today we're going to lay in bed and think about how grateful we are because we've got to stay grateful in times like these to reset and do all the things we've been putting off when there's this friggin' mosquito. Anyway, there's a friggin' mosquito flying around my head. I bet, I bet this little bitch is like, oh, let me be a part of this podcast too. But as he gets closer, those priority stands are like, mmm, give me a sip of that booty juice. Yo, I'm a mosquito. I suck blood. So anyway, back to the podcast. I am, I am so scatterbrained. I'm sorry. So we are thinking about the dreams we've had. And we're like, if we're an artist like moi, we might make some artwork or write about it. But anyway... First thing we do is we wake up, we make ourselves some breakfast because we are functional adults and we have a very balanced diet which does not involve skipping meals at the cost of anything else. And after that we stretch because stretching is good. Like stretching is quite possibly the best exercise other than dancing because even though dancing exercises all of your muscles in unpredictable ways therefore your body cannot grow resilience to exercise, which it does, Stretching is good because if you're like a, a sack of potato slob like me, you're like, oh, I feel like mayonnaise today. I ain't going to do anything active. You can still stretch. like You can still warm up those muscles and stretch you and get more flexible. And it's good because it promotes blood flow, promotes circulation. Like any exercise, and stretching is an exercise, it, it creates like the whole serotonin and dopamine output, which means your mental health is going to thrive. So spend like an hour stretching and if you're a beginner like no less than half an hour okay like there's a lot of good youtube videos out there and if you want the whole strength aspect behind it too you go for active flexibility because active flexibility is requiring your muscles to lift you through your stretches which means that you can hold poses in a whole variety of different ways and it's not like 
uh, bitch, I'm like a potato, but I'm a splitty potato now. So anyway, active flexibility is your thing, but regardless, you need to be stretching for an hour every day and you are under lockdown, so no excuse. So after that, you might think like, oh, I'm on a roll here because you're on that dopamine high from stretching, right? So you think, oh, I'm going to actually look up a full body workout on YouTube or I'm going to do some squats or I'm going to do some push-outs. But you are under lockdown. You, I know for a fact, like I already know all of y'all are going to be eating more just because the fact you're in the house, you're bored and you will eat when you are bored. And that, that's another thing you can do actually, like you can practice cooking as well. You can practice making them good meals and wooing your lover if you have one and loving yourself if you don't because self-love is important. Whether you have a lover or not, you need to be taking care of yourself. So we're going to do some exercises, you can do that for another hour. Like I assume you got up at like 8 o'clock, you probably slept in, so we'll go 9. You've stretched for an hour, that's 10. You'll exercise for an hour, that's 11. And then like... You will, after you had your stretching exercise, you will take a moment to sit and like look at the world. Like where I live, I have like a really amazing view, but you might not have that. So why don't we go for some meditation? That could be another hour. Then it's lunchtime. So we're going to cook a bomb ass lunch, right? Because we are going to spend that hour making amazing food because we are queens and we deserve the best. Or you can be a king, you might be gender neutral. But anyway, we're going to take the time to relish this food. We're going to put the time and effort into make ourselves a lunch that is worthy of a king or a queen because we are fine as fuck. We've just spent the whole morning doing exercise and other good things. So we are going to spend that hour making lunch. And after that, we're going to do the dishes too. And then... After that, since you've already done the dishes, you might as well clean your entire house. Like, even if you cleaned your house yesterday, you can clean it again today. And you can dust every single corner. Like, you can dust on top of the doors. You can dust on, like, the lampshades, the surfaces. Or you can do, like, washing. But regardless, I want you to be cleaning your old houses and, like, dusting everywhere. Because I know that there will be areas that you have not cleaned. So, okay. So, it's 1pm. Okay, now you can, like... Play, play a computer game like there are there's gaming communities where you can network with your friend like go on a meal go and like, like network with someone you need to talk to people because you're under lockdown so you need to be talking for like another hour at least and that's 2 p.m by 2 p.m you think oh I've done talking to people throughout the day I feel like I want some alone time so you might watch a movie for an hour and we know it's not just going to be an hour we know it's going to be two so after that that's like Wait, what time is it? Like, I assume it's 1. So you've, you've, you've cleaned until 1pm. Okay, you've talked to your people, which is like 2pm. So, okay, so we're watching movies for a couple of hours. That takes us till 4 o'clock. And then you might be like, you know what, it's time to be active a bit more. But we are not going to work out again. We did that this morning. So we're going to find... There's two categories for this, right? We're going to find either A, our favourite music, or we're going to go for B, which is like, what the fuck music is this? And I'm going to challenge you to dance okay like you might be like the most awkward sack of cucumbers that have ever graced humanity you might be the best dancer in the world or you might be just like <clears throat> boy this is not what I feel comfortable doing but I will tell you this you are under lockdown there's probably like no one around who actually cares enough because we're all trying to do our own thing or you might be by yourself but regardless you need to put yourself under your your out of your comfort zone, you know, because you've got to be continuing to survive and thrive. You are probably already going a bit stir crazy, so just dance, all right? Like you've got no excuse not to, and you can like either do like the whole aerobics workout or you can like do a whole routine. But here is your challenge: you need to choreography a routine to your favorite music or the what the fuck music. So that's like taking us to early evening, right? And like, you've probably been snacking first. Like, I hope you've been drinking. Like, you need to stay hydrated to all of us. And why just drink water? Why don't drink, like, 
a really fancy herbal tea or like wine or something because why not and by by the time we've done all this it will be evening which we spend like another hour like cooking and doing dishes and then, then after that it's like it's time to call your nana right because we do not call our grandparents enough they've lived their whole lives doing it all and then they just sit in their house when they, the world forgets about them like who has actually called their nana at all like they get forgotten about so you might as well call your nana or if you've called them you can call like an aunt or a relative just call someone okay it's good to hear their voice and it's good to hear like what they're getting up to and they'll they'll, they'll feel good that you've actually thought about them and that you actually care about them and if you don't have anyone you can call communities they do this thing like they schedule phone calls where we check on vulnerable members of the community because you don't know like a person might have been receiving care before they got into lockdown but they're all by themselves now like what if they fall like what if they can't open something what if they need to talk to someone about something and that's where you can step in so you've given that person a call because I say so and after that you're going to go out for a walk around the block like just a little walk but you need the fresh air right then by then it's evening you can have a shower and you can go to bed you can listen to Flummis's amazing fantastic superb podcast which if we get enough people for like I don't know if he's thought about this but maybe if we got world famous we could like maybe I don't know broadcast more than seasonal you know like out of all the things you've done today, have you actually taken the time to appreciate the lengths independent artists go to to provide you with online content? Like, all you need to do is share their stuff. Like, follow them, comment, like, tell them they're doing great. Like, that literally is free. Or you can, like, watch them on Twitch or you can, like, subscribe to them on Patreon or their OnlyFans if you're into that. But anyway, y'all need to be supporting artists more. We are the ones who are keeping you entertained. And I don't, I, look again, I don't know how long I've been rabbiting on for, but I hope this has provided you with something or has helped you lay out a schedule to help like not be stir crazy because I know everyone's lives are different, but this should be a good framework to go off. And like I'm a dancer, so I know like all my dance communities are doing online classes and things like, but why not sign up with a gym or see what, see who else is like doing the whole schedule. Like my schedule has classes like, oh, they'll do like a booty class in the morning. They'll do like an, I don't know, a shoulders class here and then like a meet up and coffee class where you'll like meet up over Skype or Zoom or whatever. Like regardless, if you are part of something, a network, they should like, even a church, they should be doing things where you like get online and you talk with each other and you touch base and you discuss things like this should be enough hopefully to get you through and if it's not, you can just write a novel, my friend. You can get on Duolingo. You can learn a language. You can go on, like, Khan Academy on YouTube. He does, like, all these, like, really interesting, like, maths and I think maybe science videos. But anyway, you can be upskilling yourself, my friend. I want to see you come out of this with a whole bunch more skills, with a whole bunch more opportunities and just, like, knowing something more, like, just learn a language, learn a skill, and then, like, maybe you can write your life story into a novel. I don't know. Like, there's a saying that goes, if you've survived childhood, you've got enough content to write about for the rest of your life. So, you can do some of these things. I'm not saying do all of them, but I'm saying you should at least try because we're under lockdown, babe. We're, like, we've got all this free time. Like, I don't know how long you've, you've got under lockdown in your country, but here we've got four weeks in New Zealand, so I want you to at least try a few things, and, like, try and become a better person out of this, okay, because, like, I'm spiritual, I believe that things happen in my life for a reason, so I'm taking this as a blessing, and I want you to rise to that challenge and take this as a blessing too, and take the opportunity to take full advantage of the blessing that it is, okay, so I hope this was enough, thank you for listening to be 
to me rabbiting and make sure that when Flomus gives shout outs for everyone who's participated in his podcast, you go and follow and support every single person who's like participated in this podcast because we're doing this shit for free. Like you might as well follow us, like give us some of your support because it will not cost anything. Okay? I hope to hear from you all soon. Bye. There was a time when three women got together and were really, really bored and thought to themselves, why don't we masturbate? And two of them were sisters even, but everyone thought it was okay. They all looked at each other and were thinking the same thing. But how to express something like that? Slowly, the looks grew all over the bodies, aiming at each other, and a few smiles and slight blushings. They started stroking themselves on the shoulder, on the leg. The gestures and agreements of what was in their head gradually came into reality. And suddenly, they all got it and started ripping each other's clothes off. They all lay and put on a movie, three lesbians in a flat screen, then streamed by Norwegian-Ukrainian band Seamarble. With screen and screen, they watched a video for Tukari, and they gently started teasing themselves. Thus, three lesbians and two lesbians and five lesbians were there. Or, that's what it seemed on the surface. In reality, all the women were wishing the labels would just go away. But scary men in the rural south who vote think otherwise. This is Radio Flom. At times I feel a nuclear pulse of a new beginning. It could happen next. At times I dread all this just babble and going in circles. Society with everyone. Selfish, luxury, priority, banal, and mediocre. The opposite, of shit, is the butterfly. Now you have a shit society, and I am going to turn it into a butterfly society. You heard my woes, even describing a girl's cheekbone is kinky for these people. And what of it? It's just envy isn't it? I'm tired for being blamed and credited the stupidity of existence just for existing and I'm tired of being unrecognized for what I really offer you as a system of thought and which hasn't the least to do with my own personality. I offer you a mirror, please don't work it out on me. Let us work on a dream, and we will have lived. I got it all by myself. <gasps> also, get your pour over. And then make sure to get a cup. But make sure it's the right cup. Because if you don't get the right cup, you're fucking screwed. It's like being put into a stressful situation. Sets off my ADD and I can't, I can't do anything. Because I thought I could be cool and deal with this whole thing. Because I tend to get upset easily and I tend to get very sad very easily and then distracted even more easily when I'm upset. Um, and it's shitty. As you can see, a filter is circular. Do not cut a hole in it. That would be bad. Mm.
Thursday, 23 April. Be ready to submit. I was planning on it. Four, two, three, zero. You know you want to. And when it's done, at the end of the day, poof, everything goes away. Accept the free download link for the first ever Flom Zine. You know you want to. I was planning on it. Flom four two three zero. Thursday twenty three April. Virtually art and more. Programmed just for you. Four two three zero. No. Radio Flom will off again next week because Nustrum the four two three. Building takes time, even with an AI on your side, thinking up weird shit. We will be back the following week, where we will take a look at not only our new zine, but also the Harper Brothers, with Harper's Monthly Magazine, Harper's Bazaar, and the rest of their printing empire. They were really onto something. You gotta, you gotta give a little love tap. Love, 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 love. Like, do some careless whisper to these grabs. Like, I don't actually know that song. And now, time for a total mood change. Brand new from Graves with two A's. Quarantine Bunker Mix. Streaming almost exclusively on Radio Flom for almost the next hour.
Restless Graves. Graves be joining us just below the fold as part of 4230 on 423. That's April 23rd if you couldn't figure it out. Dude, we have your package from Amazon. This is Radio Flung. We are all static. So are you. How delightful. A milk-free episode. I'm not sure what he is up to, but as long as I don't have to hear that jack-off talk, I'm happy. I'm still not over what happened during our second season of production. I was just trying to get him educated. Also, I blame him for me missing the live show. It doesn't end with season two. No, I'm pretty sure he is responsible for what happened to Cliff. And I'm sure I don't have to remind you about the problems he has caused during this season. You would think four seasons in he could get it together. So help me if he messes up my plans for 4230. I'll personally end him. Radio Flom is brought to you in part by Sex Because it's springtime Look outside if you can, that's where the spring is actually happening Without you, right now But everyone who isn't a human being living inside a box is enjoying what it's like Without humans Carter's little liver pills They do the work of calomel without the danger of calomel. But they will not cure that cough. (coughs) Fixavile.com Great printing at low prices. Delivered to your door. Diego Valley at twitter.com slash Diego Valley underscore LTHM and soundcloud.com slash Diego Valley Music. 7th Swami at soundcloud.com stroke 7th Swami. Music that makes you all slinky. And our solid as a rock level sponsor. Squadcast.fm. Remote interviews for professional podcasters. Easy to use, easy to record and easy to download. Simple, discreet, with or without video. Squadcast.fm lets you do it your way, record everyone that really wants to be recorded. You'll feel like you're on air. Just like you'll be at 4230. Happening worldwide next Thursday. At flom.us stroke 423. I'll be there. Will you? I was planning on it. This has been Radio Flom, featuring a cast of dozens. Appearing on tonight's episode, in order, were... Jeff Gillum Noah Cooper Kelsey Kuknick Richard Durazo 
Sean Connelly, Brandet Tavares, Anabolique, Richard Lécré, Jeu de Pré, Paul Rouen, Julia Sovetlova Oveneja Arox, Modern Mime, Charlotte Rose Benjamin, Steve Mehalo, Of the Source, Anon, Basic Pleasure Model, Scribe Not Scribble, Tajia McMaster, Tristicia Languorem, Grave, Gabriel Pasco. Continuity provided by Our Anunce, Audrey Daguette, Jason Spear, Vicky Brown, et Kidoke. Radio Flam is produced by Steve Mehalo et Milk Surface. Theme music by Chelsea Davis. Sound design and engineering by Steve Mahalo. Radio Flom is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 international license. However, recordings of contributors or guests of Radio Flom are still protected under international copyright laws. All episodes can be downloaded for your convenience. Radio Flom contains works featured for review, opinion, critique, parody, and or artistic transformation, and will contain adult content and nudity. Flom is a faux modern art movement, art history resource that promotes learning and education through new and alternative media. Flom is your online connection to art history, music, and beyond through Instagram, Twitter, and other social media. We're all Flomists, and you can too. Donations gratefully accepted at patreon.com slash flomus. Or just buy us a coffee at flom.us slash coffee. We are at Flomus on most social media. Flom is sometimes explained, but usually not. This is Kid OK saying thank you for listening. And if you don't like this podcast, do something about it. And now, I think I, I wait for my water. Okay, now, one more time, but backwards.
Well, that gave me a headache. Smoke them if you got them, guys. Oh, it's steaming. It's steaming. Which means I am close to the second step of putting the water in the coffee filter thing I'm into. Oh my god, I chose the wrong cup. Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. Uh, yeah.